0: Welcome to the Next in Tech podcast, brought to you by Aid Capital. Next in Tech profiles early-stage Canadian tech companies that are changemakers and disruptors in their respective industries. I'm your host, Sutan Sukumar, the senior sell-side technology analyst at the firm. We're kicking off our second season of the podcast with Stephen Sauls, co-founder and CEO of Rivalry, a next-gen esports media and betting platform. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having So Ravelry was founded back in uh, 2017. You've raised about 30 million US to date. Uh, You're a Canadian company licensed out of the Isle of Man as a regulated gaming operator with a global business with nearly half a million registered users across markets in Latin America, Southeast Asia, and Europe. And you most recently entered uh, Australia, a significant regulated gaming market with plans for expansion into other major gaming markets like North America. So clearly lots of momentum building in the business. Um, But but Stephen, maybe let's start from the beginning here. Um, You know, you were early in esports, both as an investor and an entrepreneur. How did you recognize the opportunity in esports betting early and and how did Rivalry get its start?
1: Yeah, so I generally saw an opportunity, I'd say, in in esports and and gaming content. And then just the general inflection point that the demographic was kind of hitting. So and and what esports and gaming represented in that. So as a content category, uh, outside of porn, gaming is the is is the largest um, or the most uploaded and most viewed category on the internet. Period. Uh, it's nearly double the second most viewed category on YouTube, and then you know sub ten percent of that is, is esports, but obviously growing as as a percentage of kind of that total gaming content category. And, um, you know, myself, having always been a fan of it and having even played, you know, semi-professionally when I was younger, I could tell that there was just now this finally this demographic inflection point where uh, the viewer and the fan went from a parent's credit card to an income. And that's really what happened, because if you actually look at the total people engaged in video games, whether it's content or playing even five, six, seven years ago, the numbers were already up there um, enough to make an industry of it. But but the, the age or the average age just wasn't there. So. Yeah, there was a super clear demographic inflection point you could see it in multiple places in the ecosystem including how just like even the publishers themselves were investing in esports where historically it was like a passing thing they didn't really care much about and then all of a sudden come 2014 15 and 16 they really started to care because uh, again like the audience became monetizable so that was the first thing is yeah very identifiable inflection point back in probably yeah, 2014 i'd say and then um looking at it from now an investment perspective having worked in capital markets myself i was looking for kind of a framework by which to to think through uh, what could be successful in the space and the assets that was most or were most interested to, interesting to me were ones that were um, you know not going to be um, totally beholden i guess to um, game cyclicality as in just like the unpredictability of the shelf life of a new piece of ip because this is like yeah you just have no idea how long a new game that's released is going to be popular for and then also ideally like not touching the publisher ip too much because we didn't want to invest in something that could be crushed by a publisher you know whether it's licensing fees franchise fees whatever it may be so Betting kind of represented the thing that most ticked those boxes as something that was totally unencumbered and free, uh, could benefit from the rise and growth of esports, but also didn't really care which game was popular and for how long. So yeah, that quickly led us to to esports betting. Uh, And I'd say also as just a very quick kind of side tangent, you know, at the time we were also running, myself and my co-founders in 2015 and 16, we were running a virtual goods marketplace for... Uh, two of the most popular esports, Dota and Counter-Strike, so people buying and selling virtual goods. Um, unbeknownst to us, at least for the first 12 months of operating that, one of the bigger use cases of those goods was people using them as essentially illegal casino chips to gamble online. And then our marketplace was almost a de facto cashier for, in terms of liquidity that we were seeing. So, yeah, there, there was just like clearly pent up demand. There was no great platform for it. It ticked all the boxes as like a great investment thesis. We were operating a, a business already. We understood the consumer, understood the marketplace, how to build a brand in it. Yeah. And then everything kind of just just pointed to to doing it ourselves. So we we kind of jumped in and decided to create rivalry.
0: So eSports is a large billion dollar industry today and, and growing well into the double digits year over year but eSports betting is still quite early days and and not really accounted for in these market forecasts. Can you talk about how big the market is today and and how it's evolving?
1: Yeah, so eSports betting definitely is still still really early, so there's not really... Too many great projections on it we actually commissioned a report from ehlers and crycheck who's the the estimate that everybody's been using even up to goldman in their reports for the size of the esports betting market but there's literally been one report done by those guys in 2016. we commissioned like an update to it at the end of 2020. the numbers haven't changed too much but you're talking you know somewhere between 8 to 10 billion in turnover currently for uh, esports and legal markets and then you know black market esports betting can potentially double that number, but obviously from an investor perspective, you know anyone should really just care about the the legal legitimate markets because those are the only you know investment grade companies obviously that operate there. So, you know it's it's growing significantly. It's like a fifty to sixty percent Kager. If you look at even commentary during the pandemic when there was no sports, so esports betting really got the light shown on it. You know in early to mid two thousand twenty, Jason Robbins of DraftKings and even some of the uh, CEOs of EU sportsbooks. Talked about the growth they saw in esports betting and just themselves getting a much closer look at how much potential there was in the market. And I think Jason Robbins came out on maybe the Q2 or Q3 call last year, saying that he expects esports to be uh, probably the most bet on market for them in the U.S. outside of uh, outside of football in you know five to ten years. And then also, if you look at the EU sports books, they're expecting the same thing. You know, there's been comments from uh, EU operators for one to two years now that yeah, they themselves are also expecting esports as a category. Uh, to represent more in turnover than uh, all of their other sports other than soccer uh, as well in the next five to 10 years. So it's, it's, it's growth rate and the expectations from even the major operators are that within the next five to 10 years, it will probably be in most key markets, the second most bet on sport. I think dislodging soccer uh, in Europe will be near impossible. And I think dislodging football in the uh, U.S. will be near impossible. But yeah, being the second most bet sport would be a, an incredible achievement. And, and our view also is, is that's where it's heading. And, and, and not just from the raw numbers, but people have to realize also, and this is a big part of our investment thesis, this is like an international generational tidal wave. Uh, Gen Z, and young millennials call it under 30, is nearly 50% of the global population, almost 25 to 30% of the current global workforce. This is just like a massive tidal wave of new consumers coming into the fold. So, um, and as that consumer ages and their their spending power increases over the next 5 to 10 years, it's almost like a a generational inevitability, um, whether you believe in the kind of secular
0: trends or not. When you think about the traditional sports betting market relative to the traditional sports market itself, what are some of the parallels or, or differences that you're seeing kind of play out as as the esports betting market evolves from here?
1: Esports is unique. And, and the line that I'm sure people listening have heard before is, you know, the, the publisher owns the IP to everything, which is what makes it so unique. It would be the equivalent of the NBA owning the intellectual property rights to the game of basketball and anyone that plays basketball anywhere in the world that then charge somebody or commercialize it in any way in theory would be you know, in breach of that IP would owe some kind of fee uh, to uh, to the NBA. This obviously isn't the case, but in esports it is as the publisher owns everything. So wherever the game is played in a competitive format, the publisher, if, if they want, can kind of get your business and, and either shut it down or charge you a licensing fee or whatever it may be. So the way that they kind of engage with, the sport in general is different, and, and that actually that fact is the biggest impact to kind of the flow of economics in esports more broadly, and how different it is from traditional sports, uh, and how challenging it can actually be to monetize uh, on a you know apples to apples basis the way that people monetize sports. In terms of betting, I actually don't think that factor though hinders or impacts betting in any way, and it's kind of back to my early point where we wanted to invest or do something that was uh, completely independent or agnostic of the ip holder betting is i mean we're we're you're you're regulated by the gambling regulator Uh, the publisher has no real jurisdiction to determine if you can legally take a bet um on on their game it's you know we're we're we could if, if we could prove the integrity we, we could literally offer you know how many millimeters of rain are going to fall in dublin you know tomorrow and have an over under market like you you can literally offer betting on anything so again with, with integrity within reason so so yeah so uh the publisher hasn't been able to do anything or hasn't appeared in any way to to hinder the growth of esports betting uh to the extent that they have in other you know other verticals esports where they can make it super challenging for you to grow uh in, in fact i'd say it's going the other way where there's you know anyone can google but you know there's there's like data licensing deals with like league of legends or Riot games and sport radar so in fact like the publishers are monetizing their data for the purpose of betting um so so yeah it's it's a, it's the complete opposite i mean it, they're, they're not super overtly supportive of it because like their average viewer is still young but but they're definitely getting there and, and you know i, I could say also like uh you know confidentially that uh, some of the very large blue chip publishers for at least the last 12 months, most of them have, you know, had active conversations with us and I'm sure many other sports books where they're looking to bring in, you know, sponsors now from sports betting for the leagues uh, and monetize it that way as well. So, so I think they're, they're starting to open their arms a bit more to it.
0: Well, obviously esports caters to a, a relatively younger demo as, as you just described, who do you cater to today? What markets you operate in and, and how do you go about acquiring users?
1: Yeah, so we're definitely targeting 18 to 25 year olds. Almost every single one of our users is under 30. The average is probably, you know, 24 to 25. But yeah, our our sweet spot is, is 18 to 25. Uh, that's predominantly where most of the viewership is. It's also the type of platform we built from a user experience perspective down to even customer support was was catered to that generation of user, you know, most of the people at the company, even that work for Rival are, are under the age of 30. So, yeah, you know, we're, we're very much more like a, a young tech company in sports betting rather than a, a sports book trying to, to approach a market esports. And, and that DNA difference has, I think, led to a lot of our success. But yeah, you know, 18 to 25 year olds, the license we have is an international license for people that aren't familiar these you know Isle of Man, Gibraltar, Malta, these offshore blue chip licenses which is where like the likes of Bet365 Betway most of them will have one of these foundational licenses <clears throat> they allow you to accept bets in every country where there's no domestic licensing in place so you know with an Isle of Man license for example we can't take bets in the UK you need a UK license so um yeah it, it's it's pretty international in scope I'd say for our business though in particular we have a pretty material regional focus in latin america which are all uh gray markets currently so yeah you know like brazil uh, mexico chile peru um, shortly argentina probably uh, these are all really great markets for us also southeast asia starting with the philippines for us and then we're expanding out from there we do a little bit of business in what we consider like cis region you know like russia ukraine and, and those regions but uh yeah kind of everywhere other than north america and eu just because those are the two big blocks of regulated markets and then we were awarded a license for Australia uh, very recently, a couple weeks ago. So that will be a, a first kind of regulated market for us. And we'll be launching there in the next couple of months. So we'll be adding Australia to the mix, mix as well.
0: You know, with respect to the platform, what games do you support betting on today? Is it just the, the top esports today or is there a long tail that you also cater to? And what types of wagering options do you have available on the platform today for your users?
1: Yeah, so we offer, I think, like 13 to 14 eSports. But, you know, as anyone that that is in eSports betting knows, or even just sports betting that offers eSports, 90 to 95% of all dollars wagered in eSports is spread across League of Legends, uh, Counter-Strike, and Dota, which are the top three most viewed eSports, and is the bulk of of eSports betting. So, yeah, even though we offer, like, Overwatch League and Call of Duty and, I don't know, Rainbow Six, Rocket League, et cetera, these are just not hugely gambled on sports currently i i think a lot of it is just the life of league of legends dota and counter-strike they're also like the three longest standing esports um that have been played in a really serious competitive format so yeah the average viewer is older they're more familiar with it uh there's a little bit more data and competitive history so you know odds making and things like this is a little more efficient but but yeah so we offer kind of the range of everything, but almost all betting is in is in those those three games currently. And then in terms of the markets, if you go back a few years ago, so we, we first launched or soft launched in early '18, and then fully launched in, in August of '18. But you know back then, uh, there's already been huge leaps since then. But your your most of the betting was was pre market. It was like 80 20 pre market to in play. The in play product wasn't that good. So yeah, it was stuff like match winner, who's going to win the first round, et cetera, like the equivalent of you know who's going to win the first period or the puck drop, and then the product has gotten much better from the major odds providers, and uh, data feeds uh, have gotten much better. So, yeah, the breakdown for at least rivalry is 60/40 the other way. So we do like 60% of our turnover in play betting and 40% pre-match. This actually matches uh, sports. So you know the average sports book will see 60/40 in play to, to pre-match. So so it's it's the full suite of betting now that you would find in, in sports. There's, there's almost no difference
0: it's pretty clear that content and media are, are a big part of, of your business model here. Can you touch on kind of what you're doing differently that has you know, really allowed you to kind of build this, the successful model for, you know, for user acquisition and, and talk a little bit about your revenue model itself and, you know, how do you monetize um, on the platform today?
1: Yeah. So start with the content and media part. And, you know, like many people, I, I am on Twitter a lot. So there was a, there was a, I forgot who the VC was. It was a year or so ago, but they said how every B2C company for Gen Z is also a media company. And I really liked that. I thought it was just super simple because it's been part of the DNA of, of Rivalry since we launched. Even, even pre-launch, we were doing you know newsletters and a lot of media before the site was even live. So yeah, when we first created even the idea for the business, we knew that, the social and content engagement needed to be like a massive piece of what we do. And to the extent that, you know, almost 50% of the company in terms of resourcing and, and human beings is allocated to like our content marketing and media strategy. So when you're trying to acquire or attract an under 25 consumer to your product, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's, you know, uh, yeah, FinTech or, or cannabis, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like you have to be like extremely, in their face, mimi, engage in the community. Uh, also, super nuanced in how you speak to them. Very, uh, yeah, community focused. So you know, rivalry runs more than twenty, and growing pretty quickly. Social and content accounts and their language game and country specific because you know the League of Legends fans, for example, in uh, Brazil are despite the language are just like extremely different in terms of like their behavior even like the memes that they like that you know the Chilean League of Legends fans so like we need different social properties for those two individual markets so we started from the beginning being like really really heavy on that and we've definitely found a lot of success I'm not really sure how to describe our tone of voice we're, we're just kind of meme shit posty, ridiculous uh try to kind of create competition and rivalry and like play into the name a little bit um, produce a lot of like really good original bespoke content and you know the, the measured monthly engagement into our socials and content exceeds the aggregate of all uh, esports betting sports books that we compete with so yeah we, we've definitely found a huge amount of success with that and then that has elevated the brand equity in our key markets to an extent that that helps us acquire customers organically without having to always rely on um, just total outbound marketing spend like balance sheet spend so it's been really important and critical for us on that and then um, the social and content is definitely like an indirect acquisition method Then we have a lot of direct acquisition methods but the primary way that we monetize or almost the entire way we we monetize currently is as a typical sports book as you know bookies have made money for 100 years is we take a, a spread on our on our betting lines so the that's what's been kind of helpful about this is we're in a new sector and something very novel and a demographic that's new for a lot of investors being, you know, Gen Z, esports, gaming, et cetera. But our business model is a thing that is like unbelievably familiar to people. We didn't have to reinvent the wheel there. So, uh, yeah, we're a sports book. We make money like a sports book. We take
0: a, we take a spread on our, on our betting lines. I caught a tweet from you a couple of weeks back. I think it was at end of March where where you, you basically called out that you saw more deposits in one day than you did in all of 2018, and thought that was that was pretty impressive. Can you talk a little bit about some of the, the recent momentum that you're seeing in the business uh, with respect to kind of KPIs and what influence did did COVID have on your business?
1: Yeah, so that was at the end of March, and it's it's just um, yeah, just kind of. Uh, Noting the milestone where you know we yeah, we, we saw launch in Feb of eighteen, we we fully launched in August of eighteen, but yeah our. We saw a single day with with more deposits than, than that entire year, and, and we've actually since that day. So that day was a w- almost exactly a week ago, um, and since that day we've had another day that was almost 30% on top of that day. So so yeah, we're we're seeing pretty significant momentum, and we we've been told for a while that this is like a J curve kind of business, and our experience the last six to eight months has, has definitely been that th- that's the case. And uh, you know, so e- even though the numbers have gotten bigger, our, our actual month over month growth percentages have increased. Um, so. So yeah, uh, right now we've uh, just over 400 and I think twenty, four hundred twenty-five thousand registered users on the site. Our trailing two year month over month growth rate is about 18%. So we've had like a lot of consistency in growth. Uh but yeah, this year we've with some of the new capital we closed and some more marketing, we've seen a we've seen an acceleration. So in um, March was up 39% over over Feb and both Feb and March were up nearly 400%. Year over year, so um, we've seen a lot of consistent growth in the business, and that's one of the things we're proud of. Is we're not always coming out with some, you know, kind of big recent thirty or sixty days. You know, we've we've had just consistency for more than two years. COVID was definitely helpful. So I'd say March of last year was, uh, I think we were up like hundred and fifty percent over the prior month, and then we and then we've been growing off of that new level. So yeah, like our March of this year was nearly four hundred percent bigger than March of last year, but uh, definitely COVID. COVID pretty much gave us like six months of growth in, in 30 days for sure. And then we were able to sustain the growth off of that level. So yeah, it was a great kind of like fast forward button for us for like half a year almost. And then uh, I guess like the, the other KPI we're super proud of would be back to kind of the brand equity is, I mean the, the average cost of customer acquisition, including upfront bonuses, everything like as conservative a number as possible at rivalry for, I don't even know, probably almost a year now is, is, is under 50 bucks. So yeah, uh, from a cost of customer acquisition perspective in sports betting we have we've been doing really really well and we've also been profitable in our users so like our unit economics even though the lifetime value is a little smaller or the rpu is smaller because if the user is younger uh, we still do you know multiples of return uh, against our cost of customer acquisition and in some cases our, our payback period can be as short as like 60 days so for sportsbook we're yeah we're, we're pretty happy with our numbers given the age of the company
0: I want to spend a, a little bit of time talking about your platform and, and the and the underlying technology itself because I think Rivalry is, is unique in the sense that you, know, you guys are basically fully vertically integrated. All your tech was purpose-built in-house, no M&A. Can you talk about your your product strategy here and and, and how you saw the opportunity to expand into traditional sports and and now into to i gaming? What was that journey like from a from a technology perspective and, and what are some of the nuances and trends that you're you're seeing on the platform between these segments?
1: yeah so we definitely proud of the fact we built all of our ip so in sports betting including many of the u.s operators and some of the newer guys uh you typically will white label or license your front end and your back end so a lot of the major sports books that listeners here are probably familiar with in the u.s like even you know a pen and bar stool is is a is a white label of a, of a Betworks front end and a lot of the other operators are similar we looked at doing that and it would have saved us a huge amount of time and in, in grief but the reality is is like we're catering to an under 25 year old consumer those white labels are built for a 35 year old plus sports better on average same thing with even the casino product average casino players you know early 40s and up even to like early 60s anyone that would be participating on on rivalry for something like casino same thing under 25 so yeah so we built all the ip just because everything on the user journey needed to be specifically catered to like an internet generation of user uh, of of a user's age so so yeah so so built everything in-house Uh, definitely took some bruises along the way as as a result but we also landed with a platform that is like sufficiently differentiated and we have complete control over it because the white labels are great and and, and the service providers are are really really responsive and good but the problem is it's still kind of like a wix.com for betting like you know you're you're just like slotting things into place like we, we can literally do anything so like we inject a huge amount of gamification playfulness and honestly just like ridiculousness into the platform so like when a meme gets really popular on one of our social channels that's like a big acquisition method for us and a big market for us you know even into the bet slip sometimes like in the imagery of the bet slip or the loading of the bet slip we'll like put the meme like there and and and, and then and then people will tweet us about it or interact with us on social about it so we could just do anything that's kind of the point is because the social content is so successful and such a big part of the business um what we kind of say internally is somebody that looks at a shit post on a rivalry instagram and swipes up and let's say goes to the site registers deposits bets we want the feeling and the playfulness of the shit post that got you your first interaction with the brand to be felt through the entire betting experience like that that's just like that's like super super important to us so uh, yeah w- without building everything you just can't do that so the only thing we do use the third party for is is obviously our odds provision we don't produce our own odds so so yeah we, we use the third party for for our esports odds and sports odds um and that uh we, we've been through three different partners now because we're, we're pretty specific but yeah we're we, we've got a definitely like an above market we find now when we compare against our, our peers, uh, definitely an above-market esports offering in terms of like uptime and everything. Even you know as compared to Bet365, our uptime is much better on our esports product. And then uh, sports, sports is okay. We 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 added sports about a year ago, um, and it's um, something that every single month we're always kind of adding more depth to. So the market's currently offered for sports right now with rivalries relatively limited, and then we increase it in scope every month just because the yeah the, the architecture for sports is is pretty different and. Just from a server load perspective, we're 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 getting more and more familiar with it. So yeah. So like I think by the end of this year our sports book will be kind of market efficient as well.
0: As part of your product roadmap, you guys have a bunch of exciting new developments on the iGaming content front. Can you expand on on, on that strategy a little bit here and 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 how do you think this this further differentiates Rivalry in the market today? yeah
1: like as much as we would love to just jam an iframe of like a micro gaming into the platform and start making money on it like it just wouldn't work for us um it would betray kind of like the brand thesis we have and, and i think our users would honestly kind of like puke it out to, to to be honest so so we we looked at casino we there's probably a couple third party games that are interesting that that might make sense for us but again like average casino player is like early 40s even to like early 50s these are not games that are made for 23-year-old, 22-year-old, so we have an internal games team. It's like our biggest RD project. They're from the indie game community in Toronto. Uh, we've been building casino games in the Unity Engine for the better part of a year. We just actually got our GLI approval on our first set of games uh, two weeks ago, and they're very unique games so you know gli is the largest third-party testing house in the world they've tested like almost 70,000 casino games they had told us i think without hyperbole that this was probably the most unique thing that they've seen uh and even like the the mechanic of our game is this thing called physics-based rng so rather than a, a pre-baked just like algorithmic rng that makes the game provably fair as in you spin a slot machine a certain number of times you're going to win 98.2 percent of the time it's called like an rtp or return to player our randomness is like procedurally generated by the actual physics engine in Unity, which is like in our game. So, uh, so that that's one concept about it. The other is we created this whole thing called MMOGGs, so massively multiplayer online gambling games, which is obviously a playoff of MMO RPG. So the casino games also that we're releasing, the first one uh, called Rush Lane is kind of a mix of like a marble race meets Mario Kart meets a tower defense game. Uh, it's fully rendered in unity it looks really really good uh and it's a dynamic like multiplayer casino game i think up to we're gonna start with up to 30 to 40 people and you enter the game your username on rivalry as in like your gamer tag will actually appear in the game so rather than betting on let's say a virtual horse which is very popular when you enter this game you yourself are the horse but you're actually like an avatar um The game world is like really kind of cyberpunky. Looks like some different familiar games that people would be familiar with, like Minecraft or Counter Strike. In terms of the different zones, it's really silly. Like when you get hit by certain towers that slow you down, you know, you'll turn into like a cow or a pig, and like the the whole thing is just yeah, kind of ridiculous. Like part of like the meta of rivalry, part of our general story. We're creating like a lore around the game. We'll have seasons. We'll release like. Almost booster packs, as if it's a video game. So it's like a fully legal casino game that is run like a video game. Um, yeah. So th- this this is the stuff that we'll be putting out shortly, like next thirty to forty five days.
0: And you know, just to touch on that, like, how are you thinking about your technology roadmap, your technology and product roadmap ahead? You know, what are some of your investment priorities, and 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 what are some of the uh, innovation and product opportunities emerging ahead that's that's getting you excited?
1: For 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 the company, like I think we're going to continue to develop these these casino games. Um, we we don't really necessarily call it casino because we're we're trying to get almost like the stigma away from that, and, and the games don't really feel like casino. I mean, even the way the games are being built, like the uh, they're made also for like streamers to like stream themselves. You know, some of our large partners playing the game and you know commentating on it and, and adding that kind of again layer of entertainment and content being like injected into the betting experience. So so we're doing a lot of that. Like like everything we're trying to develop is trying to have like this interplay of um, content and entertainment injected into the betting or casino experience. So yeah, so so more original casino IP. And then also we've got the system on the site already called Quest. So Quest is our version of a VIP program. It's a, almost like a role-playing game that sits on top of rivalry. More than 50% of our users are enrolled in it and actively participate. It's not clunky at all. But, as you kind of proceed through rivalry, whether you're betting or watching streams or reading content, uh, you're completing quests that can kind of level up your account, you earn awards, but yeah we're we're gonna be adding a hell of a lot more features into that, which will be integrated through the site. It also integrates with the casino game, so again, like your username in Rush lane is your quest username, so the whole thing is like tied together, so we'll be doing more of this like gamification and entertainment and content uh, injected into betting. Yeah
0: that's good that's good so it's pretty clear that as a firm like you guys have accomplished so much with respect to innovation your brand and, and user growth on the platform and, and, and frankly what's 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 really a short time frame um, how have you managed to be so disciplined in focus and execution you know despite being resource constrained as a startup,
1: Yeah, I mean, we just closed a twenty-one and a half million dollar financing earlier this year, but up until then, so you're talking all of our licensing in two thousand seventeen into early eighteen, and every dollar spent marketing, uh, everything like the entire company burned up until the end of two thousand twenty. We were running off of less than nine million US in capital raised, just under nine million US in capital raised. So you're talking, you know, we built that entire business off of that. When you've got some of our competitors uh, spending. You know DraftKings spends that in marketing every three days so we've yeah we've we've definitely had to stay really lean and, and really focus. i i'd say like you know we just tried to not get distracted by a lot of what was going on around us so like whether it was like themes like you know icos and cryptos and looking at those to capitalize or um the us legalizing and everyone kind of jumping on us to do something in the us which we knew would be like extremely capital inefficient for us at this time and just a massive distraction or other things that tried to pull our attention away like we've been really and you know because you've known me for a few years like we were very good at tuning out the noise and like believing in our thesis and and believing in the, in the team and the company and i don't know we're, we're, we're just very heads down i mean even even as a company like up until this most recent financing we didn't really do much marketing or pr to you know um, so definitely to make some of our shareholders happy but you know we didn't even want the noise from that i mean we've we, we've stayed kind of quiet so so even though like our own marketing channels have been successful like we, we just we kind of tried to stay out of the limelight honestly and, as, as we built so so yeah, I'd say it's more just, just yeah, just operational mindset more than anything.
0: Stephen, kind of looking out, you know, over the next twelve months, what's really in, in the works here at Rivalry? Can you talk about some of the potential upcoming drivers and catalysts for for the business?
1: Yeah, so so one, we're we're we are in the process of of listing the company, so. Uh, which we announced as part of our last financing. So we're going to be out marketing uh the listing shortly, and then hoping to be trading, you know, obviously some sometime later later this year with, with all the usual legal legal disclaimers attached to that statement. um And then from a business catalyst, yeah, there's there's tons. So so one obviously <clears throat> the, the listing itself and, and the capital that that comes in comes in on the back of that. Uh, the other is yeah, we were awarded our Australian license very recently, so we're going through the just the, the technical approval, and we'll be launching in Australia. Um, also over the coming months so so you know the public announcement of that and the market entry of that will be huge for us this is like our first regulated market it's the most valuable betting market per capita in the world we've also the thing about australia is like we have thousands and thousands of australians already registered on the site and already consuming our content so that's also a huge benefit of of the size of the brand being so significant is it like precedes markets for us and almost tells us where to go sometimes so so yeah so australia is great and then Canada's in the process of legalizing. We've been involved in that for quite some time. So I think whether or not you know the licenses are handed out this year, I think just like the capital markets uh, headline tailwinds of that will be significant through the back half of this year as the provinces actually start to um, to legalize, uh, determine what licensing looks like, all that kind of stuff. And then yeah, and then also the release of our casino games. You know, this is more going to be kind of industry news, I'd say, rather than let's say like you know Main Street, Bay Street, Wall Street kind of news. But yeah, releasing our, our casino product. In the next two months will, will be great for us. So yeah, I mean it's 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 new market entry from licenses we've earned, it's upcoming licenses in markets like Canada, uh, and then the release of of new product like like our casino games and then yeah, the, and the listing of the company. So there's there's a lot of different stuff going on for us.
0: Just kinda of looking at your your longer term growth outlook here, how does MA fit into your into your strategy going forward?
1: Yeah, so I'd say from a technology perspective, we've looked at different m a on the i'd say again like the casino side but but it not not m a in the gambling industry like we've we've approached and you know looked at m a of like indie game companies that were then looking to convert their games to legal casino products so so yeah so our our, our version of m a is like typically outside of the gambling industry and then bringing the product into gaming just again because of our approach so, so that's probably on the tech side the other pillar for us definitely as a public company is going to be MA around uh, new markets and licenses. So, you know, for people that are listening that aren't familiar, you know, some of the EU markets in particular are like extremely closed off, very, very difficult to get a license. You know, Spain, as an example, used to have like a Tender process that would open for a tiny little window every two years. That tender hasn't opened for like almost four years now. So you know, getting into markets like Spain, which would be uh, huge for any operator. You know, M and A is is essentially the only way in. So so picking up like like an EU sports book that again you know EU operators are like two to three time revenue multiples. We're going to garner a much more significant premium, so we can kind of arm the revenue into the business and also uh, back ourselves into their licenses in these EU markets. So as part of a licensing strategy. Um, definitely looking at MA there. And then the very last one I'd say on the media and content side is we we're developing a, a lot of different stuff that, that's been great from a acquisition perspective for us. But we also do leverage partners in key markets, whether it's like studios or production houses or or, or creator groups. So, you know, potentially Acquiring some of those into the broader parent company um, and really becoming this fully integrated sports betting, sports media property is is something we're definitely looking at. So not just building our own largest acquisition channels, which in some markets are our own, like our own social media and content, but also you know acquiring some of our bigger partners and then uh, just yeah completely owning also the best acquisition channels in the market. So rivalry becomes. Um, yeah, something more than just just a sports book with its own media, but also owns some of the biggest acquisition channels for this demographic for betting in in many key markets. So, so yeah, kind of three different levels of M and for us is we, we're pretty active on right now. When
0: you think about the competitive backdrop here, what are some of the legacy online gaming operators doing today in, in terms of esports? How aggressive do you expect them to be over time as esports becomes a more material part of the pie?
1: Yeah, so they're they're definitely going to get aggressive on MA. Like I I think guys like us and, and others will probably get snapped up just because of the way that they understand how to market and speak to the demographic. It's really difficult. I mean, we've seen this in other industries. Like fintech is a perfect example. If you look at like Robinhood, you know Robinhood versus a Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade as a brand. Uh, and put all the recent drama aside could not be more different it's kind of like rivalry to like a bet 365 you know the propensity for robin hood or for canadians like a wealth simple to acquire an under 25 year old investor uh, just as a brand is in order as a magnitude higher than what you know a scotia bank and, and scotia i trade or a charles schwab in the u.s could do it, it just like you can't even compare the two in terms of like uh, how they can reach the consumer and also just like the user experience like you know it's one thing to have great marketing, but like the, the product also has to match. So so these are all things that I think are just impossible with the large sports books. So that that's a big part of it. But but currently, I mean, they, they all offer esports betting. They'd be crazy not to. Like I, I can't remember the last time I've seen an esports book that does it. And then and then you have a few, again, like I'd say Betway is probably the best example. Betway esports is huge. They've spent an enormous amount of capital marketing. Uh, second to us, they're actually next to us, they're actually the, the largest. Are the most engaged uh, social and content properties in eSports betting um, is Betway eSports under us. So, you know, and, and they're a large traditional sports book that has done better in social and marketing than some of the eSports sports books. So, so, so that's kind of interesting. I think the thing that's tough for them is, again, is users get to the product and it just, again, feels like a, an old sports book. So, you know, for more sophisticated users it works, I think in terms of acquiring that generational tidal wave I mentioned earlier, I, I think it's it's going to be a little more challenging for them. So, uh, yeah, so I'd say that they all offer it. They're trying to market. Again, it's it's from a branding perspective, it's the same challenge these older incumbent brands run into into any consumer industry, um, and, and why they're often dislodged by like the younger upstart brands. So, uh, yeah, I mean it's kind of a half answer, but but, but that's how we're seeing things right now.
0: Agreed. And, you know, we're seeing early signs of that consolidation theme play out in the market today. And, you know, both online incumbents and and land-based gaming players are getting more active on M&A as they look to accelerate online strategies post-COVID-19. And I'm seeing a lot of that interest has been around assets, uh, especially earlier stage assets with with digital first brands, strong user engagement or strong underlying technology, especially on the product and, and UX side of things.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, like we're like, you're, this is just for, for, any startup. I mean, you can only win on product and brand. Um, you, you can't win on, on your balance sheet. So especially in betting. So, I mean, the only way for rivalry to win is, I mean, even if I raised a hundred million dollars right now, it, it, you know, this is, this is a month and a half of marketing spend for DraftKings or some of the larger sports books in the EU. It, it doesn't matter. Like, so when we started this company, we knew like, we have to win on brand and product like both. And Doing that will then get us to a place where we can also get compound return without having to rely on the balance sheet, but also being able to access the markets for the capital that we need, which is what has started to happen for our business.
0: Awesome. Uh, Okay, Stephen, I think we're coming up on time here, but um, I think that was an excellent overview of the business and the opportunity ahead. I mean, you guys are clearly leaders in the industry and you're making a lot of noise and and seeing a lot of traction on the back of it. So congrats on all the achievements to date, and I look forward to the journey ahead. Thanks again for your time, Stephen. Thanks, Suthano. Appreciate it.